title of the message that we're sharing is called Choosing to Let Go of What Might Have Been. And I think it will become apparent in a moment why um, we've decided to take this angle of approach. But in verse 15, we'll just start there. It says in, in Exodus, the second chapter. So Exodus 2, verse 15, it says, When Pharaoh heard of this matter, that he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, when the Bible says that Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, it's saying that he got away from his presence, face, idea, presence. He ran away because he was being pursued. He knew he was being pursued because what had happened, as you recall, earlier in the weeks, the weeks before, we talked about it more in depth, but you can read about it as well. Moses, in his anger, uh, as he saw an Egyptian slave master beating two Hebrews, um, beating a Hebrew, uh, one of his, his own people, uh, he, he lost his temper. And in a moment of rage, he slew the Egyptian, the Bible says. Now, he had been himself uh, an Egyptian, uh, raised as an Egyptian. We're going to talk about that. He was son of Pharaoh's daughter. He'd been a, he had an amazing story already in his life, how he had been raised in the courts of Pharaoh. And yet, there came a point in Moses' life where he felt that he had probably been called into this place of privilege for a reason. And there are these moments where we begin to assess our lives. And Moses came to the conclusion that it would be better to identify himself with the persecuted people of God than to simply ride this thing out in the, in the sort of the, the ease of Egyptian life of wealth and, 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 and power. And so he made a decision that he was going to respond to the plight of his people. And when he did it, though, it seems that he uh, reacted in a way that was not in alignment with God. And so the picture we have, if we can just kind of use our mind's eye to see it, here is Moses. Um, things didn't go the way that he thought they were going to go. He thought he heard from God. He thought that when he made a decision to turn his back on Egypt, that his people would immediately recognize that it was God who had put him in this unique role and that they would rally around him. But instead, to his shock, he found that far from being received, he was actually pushed away. And they said, we don't want, we don't want anything to do with you. Who made you our deliverer? Who made you our judge? We don't want you. And so when the word, and they said, you're going to kill us like the way you killed that Egyptian. And then it dawned on Moses that he was actually in far greater trouble than he had initially thought. And so he realized that if he stayed around, he was probably going to be a dead man. So he takes off for his life, and he heads towards the, the desert region of Midian. Now, Midian, again, uh, east of Egypt, south of Palestine, near the Gulf of Aqaba, this desolate wilderness that has only in it certain places where life can be sustained. And these places often were, are connected to a wadi or some type of, a, of an oasis where there's water, because water is life in those places. And so in that scenario, we see Moses running for his life. It doesn't even appear that he had time to do anything but go. He is a fugitive on the run, a failed revolutionary, reject, turn, having turned his back on his Egyptian upbringing, culture, and family and connections, at the same time not being received by his own people. So he is, he is sitting there by the well, still with the clothes on his back that connected him back to Egypt. He is there. And he must have been absolutely bewildered and shocked. I mean, you can only imagine him sitting there wondering, what did I miss? What has happened to me? For, the, for, the, for just, you know, he's been dehydrated. He's finally drinking water. He's thinking. He's reflecting. What? Lord, did I miss you? My life is now so, who am I? What, what's going on? Where's what, what my future? 
I thought I made this decision, and now, lo and behold, it's, it's, it's not working the way that it was supposed to work. Where are you, God? And God is as silent as the desert. Can't hear anything. Moses is in this place. And again, one of the things we need to remember is Moses at this time is 40 years old. He's in the prime of his life in so many ways. He's strong. He's powerful. He's been accustomed to leading. He, you got to remember, we talked about this, how he had been educated at the highest levels of Egypt. We say, well, what, does that, what did that mean? Well, Egypt at the time was one of the most advanced, if not the most advanced culture of its day. It was highly sophisticated. They had um, made amazing advancements in medicine and mathematics and architecture. In fact, the pyramids to this day are still a wonder of the world. They're, they're, it's pretty impressive. And Moses had been exposed to all of this learning and, of course, also with the religious system of Egypt, with all of its many gods and the Nile and all the things that made up the Egyptian worldview, Moses, their art, everything about it, he was learned in it politically. He understood organization, caste, um, how to lead. He had been trained how to lead. In fact, when the Bible talks about it, we, we looked at this last week, I just put it real quick up to underscore the point. In Acts 7, 22, we're told that, it, that Moses, look at what it says, he was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt. And... The other word there that stands out, and he was mighty, mighty in words and deeds. This is implying that Moses was not just uh, a person who had been given a kind of cursory understanding or just a basic understanding of the fundamentals. Uh, this was, in our culture, we would say he was, um, he was educated at the highest levels and prepared to lead at the highest levels. What's more, his personality seemed to complement the very things that he was being asked to do. He seemed to have a leadership component to his life. There was a component of him that was mighty in words, even though later on he's going to say, I can't speak, but he was trained in rhetoric. He was mighty in deeds. He was recognized as a leader. I mean, this is a person in the prime of his life who would have assumed that if God was going to use anybody to deliver his people, it would be, obviously, I get it, it's me. And yet when he had acted, what happened? Nothing. It all fell apart, slipped through his fingers. Now he had lost everything. He had given up everything for what? To respond to God to save some people who didn't even want him. And he's sitting there by the well, thinking about these things. But on this day, things are going to happen that are going to define the next 40 years of his life. This day, sitting by this well, something's going to happen, a catalyst event it's going to set in motion a series of things that are going to give him very clear direction. And, and in fact, in Moses' assessment, I'm assuming he would have, he, his thinking is, this is how my, the rest of my life is going to go. Let's look at it together. Verse 16, Moses sitting by a well. I'm going to read 16 through 20. It says, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And the priest's name is Ruel. He's also known as Jethro. And he had, we are told, no sons, which explains why he had seven daughters, because they kept trying, I would think. And it, it says, and it came, and he had, and so in a culture that is, listen, very male-dominated and very patriarchal in, in so many ways. It's a very physical culture. Um, it has a certain rawness to it. Uh, to be a shepherd, to own flock, to be a businessman, but to have no sons in that day would have been very difficult. His seven daughters were running the family business, if you can think of it that way. And they were functioning as shepherds or shepherdesses, depending on how one refers to them. That's pretty clear here. It says that the priests had seven daughters, and they came to, and drew water. And they filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. And it says, then the shepherds came and drove them away. Now, this happened a lot. 
uh, they would, again, we don't realize what hard work it would be to oversee a flock of sheep and, and, and water them because the holes were, the water was such a precious commodity and so difficult to get that when the when they, shepherds would bring their flocks toward the water hole, um, it was sort of like uh, decorum was thrown out the door and might kind of ruled. And they had no means of securing their place in the line. That's going to become obvious here by the response of their father. And as a result, they were bullied out. So here they were doing the work to get the water, which wasn't like turning on a faucet or even doing This was drop the buck, carry the water, dump it over into a trough. It was a lot of work just to feed, uh, just to water your sheep. And yet we're told here that, they, that if they weren't careful, a lot of times they were just pushed aside, taken advantage of, and they couldn't really defend themselves. That's the picture we're given. Look what it's, let's just kind of read it through. It says, they filled their troughs to water their father's flock, but then the shepherds came and they drove them away. But Moses stood up and he helped them and he watered their flock. And when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? Because again, what is he accustomed to? He's accustomed to them getting continually pushed back in the line, coming back far later than they came. He can't understand. Why did you get here? How did you do it? And they said, well... There was this Egyptian. And it's an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So basically what they're saying is, you know what, Father? There was this man, this Egyptian man. And he was watching what was happening. And today, um, when he saw them doing what they were doing, pushing us out of, the, out of the line, he basically stood up for us and he defended us. Now, that's one of the qualities of Moses. He was also trained in this way as well. We can assume that he was trained in warfare of Egypt as well. And he was a very physical person, and he defended them. He had a way, habit of defending, the, uh, in his mind, the underdog. It's going to show up, pattern his life. And he defended the daughters of, of Ruel. And he basically, the implication is that he physically defended them and made sure that their place in line. He's, remember, he's sitting there by the well watching. He himself is just there, watching all this stuff take place, watching them come in, push them aside. He says, what are you doing? Gets in there. But not only does he defend them and ensure that they have their place, but he does something more. He actually helps them with their work. And the father says, well, where is he? You mean you didn't invite him to come? How can you? And the implication is that's not just uh, like a, a lack of courtesy. It's, it's not even our way. Because in their day, even more so, hospitality for, uh, as a return gesture of kindness, it would be appropriate even if he did nothing. How much more if this man has helped? I want to meet this Egyptian. Bring him here. Let's eat. We want him to come and look, what he, look how he puts it. He says, uh, uh, says that he said to his daughters, and where is he? Verse 20. And why is it that you have left the man there? Call him. Come and have him eat bread with us. Come and have him share this meal with us. It is only appropriate. They get Moses, and we're told that it, indeed. That's, you know, one of the things that stood out to me when you look at that is that 19th verse. Where it, when they're asked, well, who is this man? What do they say? They say, they don't say, oh, it was a, it was a Hebrew man. They say it was an Egyptian. Because you've got to understand, um, Moses... Talk like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian. <laughs> he was Egyptian. Uh, when they saw him, they didn't go, oh, there's a Hebrew. They said there's an there was an Egyptian man who helped us. Because Moses, in his entire, it tells us something. Moses was fully enculturated into Egyptian life. He was an Egyptian. His ethnicity was Hebrew, but he was an Egyptian. He saw his world through Egyptian lenses. Yes, he had come to a belief in the, in the God of his fathers that he had been told about, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But his mindset, his worldview um, was Egyptian. And that's very important because all of us are products of our culture. 
We all are affected by our upbringings and by the things that have impacted us educationally. We become, in some ways, shaped by where we live, the nation we grow up in. Some of us cross over culturally in different ways. But in, in fact, Moses is one of these unique figures who, in many ways, is a man of two cultures. As, he, as, he, as we will see, he is someone who connects himself with his Hebrew people and, and learns Hebrew culture. But at the same time, he is very skilled and probably even more comfortable in Egyptian culture. It's a lot like Paul in the New Testament who is capable of moving into both Hebrew, Jewish culture, and Greek, Roman culture. He was equally adept at both places. And yet the price tag of that sometimes is what? Sometimes you feel at home in neither. And one gets the impression that Moses was probably never totally accepted in Egyptian culture, but, probably, but it's pretty clear that there was always this subtle thing goes on between Israel and Moses, that he's really not one of us. It's a very hard thing for Moses. We're gonna, it'll come out as we move along. But they see him as an Egyptian. Now look what it says. We'll just go on here. It says that, uh, and by the way, remember I mentioned this would be a day that would turn Moses' life around? Little does he know. He's about to meet his father-in-law. He's already met his wife. He just doesn't know it yet. Um, He's going to have a clear set career path before him, not nearly as uh, impressive as the one he's leaving behind, but he's about to work for a man. He's going to get a job, and that job is going to be as a shepherd. Look what we're told. It says this, that Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave him Zephorah, the daughter, his daughter, to Moses, and she bore him a son. His name was Yersum, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Then it says time passes. We don't know how much time, but a number of years. And it happened that in the process of time, the king of Egypt dies. So somewhere between these 40 years, the king of Egypt dies. The pharaoh dies. The pharaoh that had been pursuing Moses was gone. And it says, then the children of Israel, though, they continued to groan. The Bible says it very poetically. Because of the bondage that they were in. And they cried out their prayers to God. God, rescue us. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And look how the Bible puts it in verse 24. It says that God heard their groaning. He heard their cries. He heard their pain. And God remembered his covenant, his promise that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When the Bible says God remembered, what is it saying? Does God forget things? How does God forget things? What does he say? Oh, now I remember. No, that's not how God works. When the Bible says God remembers, it's an important little thing to, throw, to just be aware of when you read it. It's basically like the Bible is saying God is deciding to act. The basic is saying is God now decides to act. Because time with God is different than time with us. All we know is God as an eternal being can enter into time and out of time at will. <laughs> you and I, we are so bound by time. Uh, we get it as the years go by. We, we mark time. We, we mark time on, on, on clocks and calendars, and we know what day of the week it is, and we know what day of the year it is, what year it is, and we understand that we have a beginning year. We call that our birthday, right, that year, and then we have, all of us, a year where we end, the final box. Time. We understand time. Time is a commodity. We have a limited amount of it. We don't even know how much we have. But time is irrelevant with God. One of the Bible, Bible's way of saying it is this, that, that it says, the Bible says that a year to God is, is like a, you know, a thousand years. A day with God is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. It's almost like this, it, it, God moves in and out of time. You and I, we are bound by time. So God decides this is the time that he's going to move and he's going to respond to the promise that was made long ago that after your people become a multitude of people, a, a nation, that God will move and he will, he will bring to pass the promise he made and give them a land, a land of promise. But it requires somebody that he's going to raise up to do it. Moses just 
didn't realize how God's time worked. And now God is about to move, but Moses has no idea that he's part of this whole thing. And that's what becomes apparent. Look at this in verse uh, number one of chapter three, which is the last verse we'll look at. It says that, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So we see what his job was. He's a shepherd now. And uh, Jethro, Jethro was a priest in Midian. And, he, and Moses led the flock, which is what he did for a living. He was a shepherd. He led the flock to the back of the desert near Horeb, Sinai, the whole range. Think about this. I mean, could you have had a more disconnected two lives? I mean, interesting is that by the time this happens, Moses is now going to be, by the time we get to chapter 3, 40 years have passed, approximately. Which means that Moses' life can essentially be divided in half. The first half lived at an absolute privilege, sophisticated, uh, amazingly uh, privileged he was a person who enjoyed the lifestyle of the, the absolute elite of an elite culture. He operated easily amongst the learned of the nations. He was respected, regarded his work, his words, his pedigree, his talk, his, his actions spoke for themselves. This was one life, but you know what? For 40 years, he had lived a whole different life. They, they were like disconnected. And you get the impression that the further he moved into the second one, like the second half, the further and further away, the, the other one must have seemed to, to where it was almost like, I don't know what that was, whatever that was, way back there, what I am now, as the years go by and the sameness of the desert life, it was, it, you couldn't have picked a more of a contrast of life. I mean, in the palace, you have everything. You, you, meet, you have people. You're, you're engaged with ideas. You're communicating. In the desert, in the wilderness, as a shepherd, um, you're, you're totally alone most of the time. You live a solitary life. You don't talk to people. You don't engage people. You, you are there in the stark beauty of the desert. And one of the things about the desert that's amazing if you've, whenever you go into the wilderness is, is how much it feels like uh, nothing ever changes. There's a stark honesty to the colors of the desert. There's something about the wilderness that when you're there, you, re, you, you, you begin to think differently. You think long thoughts. You're not always on the move. You have long periods where you're just there. And everything's the same. And you're doing the same things. And nothing changes. The rock's the same. You look at that rock and you say, that rock will be there after I'm long gone. It's always there. Always in the same. In fact, you start to rely on the sameness and that's part of the beauty of the entire experience. But what a contrast that must have been for Moses. But he adjusted to it, going from a place of privilege, right? And one wonders if some of that time, while Moses is in those wilderness times where he's just there with the sheep, and it can be absolutely gorgeous sometimes in that stark desert place, because in the mornings and at nights especially, the colors that fill the skies, you just wonder if there were times where Moses is walking along the craggy mountainside, you know, amongst the rocks, that he starts thinking about things? Does he ever wander back in time? Are there ever moments where he sits at the end of the day as, as one is apt to do and watch the sunset, that he looks in the, into the sky and as it begins to change its colors and get increasingly dark from one degree of blue to another, and then all of a sudden he sees in the sky, it, as it darkens, the absence of light, a canopy begins to emerge 
starlit indeed and beautiful in its own right. And as he looks at those stars and he begins to count them, he says, there's so many of them. He goes, ah, I wonder if in his mind he begins to think back to something he was taught when he was a boy, that someday the Lord has made a promise. And he gave this promise to Abraham who said this, that someday your family will turn into a nation and there will be so many of your descendants that it will fill, that it will be as if the stars that fill the heavens, so will be your people. And you know what? That word had come to pass because now that family was millions in Egypt, but they were enslaved. But that's somebody else's problem. That's God's problem. That's not my problem. I gave that thing up a long time ago. You know what? If they could only see me now, Moses, son of Pharaoh's daughter, prince of Egypt, look at my nation now, prince of the sheep. That's what I have. Mr. Moses, a, a, a parable of privilege lost, a man who used to be a great man, but that's okay. I mean, you get that impression that when Moses begins to see these things, that he's thinking about what might have been, right? And now, as you, you wonder, if, as he makes his way into those desert nights with his sheep as his nation, does he find himself every now and then, as human beings are apt to do, thinking about what might have been? Because you know why? The land of what might have been is an easy place to wander into when we're alone with our thoughts in the wilderness times of life. The land of what might have been is an easy place to wander into when we're alone with our long thoughts in the wilderness times of life. That's just a fact. And one of the things, and then we're just going to quickly move through this, but one of the things I'd like us to consider, this will be our first one on the board, is that some of us may feel, and I know this doesn't apply, so some of us who are younger, it may not feel, as this word may not impact us, but the fact is that you go further along in life, some of us may actually feel like we're in a place that we would almost call like the backside of the desert. That it was not where we expected to be. And things haven't been working the way we had hoped they would work. And some of us may feel like we've actually been forgotten, defeated, marginalized. That some of the things that we were so excited about have not come to pass the way we had anticipated. That maybe not unlike Moses, maybe we're not 80, but maybe we're at a point in our life where this shouldn't be the way it is, but it is. And what am I going to do about that? Sometimes, you know what? We can live life with a lot of regrets. Again, I know, I know not everyone can necessarily connect with that, but it might have to do with things that are connected to relationships, things we had hoped, wished had been our blessing. It didn't happen. Um, perhaps some of us have wondered, like Moses, if in our haste we have missed God's purpose, that somehow what we thought was a purpose obviously wasn't a purpose. And now we find ourselves in a desert place of life. And it's actually pretty hard. And, and I think sometimes in those places, maybe, maybe we feel like we've possibly even blown it. And that there's nothing we can do to change what it presently is. Because I missed my moment. I missed my opportunity. I misdiagnosed it. Now, when we're younger, it's easier to come back around and feel like, well, maybe I'll get another shot at this. But the further along we move in life, what happens is we realize our margin for error is less and less. And it can be a very jarring, difficult moment, an epiphany in a bad way, when, when we realize, I think I may have missed the whole thing God had for me. I'm saying that's where Moses was. And a lot of times we find ourselves in the backside of the desert. Maybe we're right there right now. Some of us are going, I thought this was my career path. 
But now look what's going on. What am I going to do? What is God doing? What is God up to? What's happening here? I don't get it. See, those places. Or maybe something's happening with our health and our relationship. It's a desert time. The backside of the desert is a tough place to be. But let me point this out as well. That the one thing we can be pretty much clear about, the second piece here, is that we need, to, we need to make a decision that we're not going to live in the land of what might have been. We need to let go of what might have been. We can't afford, and I, I need to keep saying this, we cannot allow the mistakes, the pains, the unfairness, the regrets, uh, the rejections, that's what Moses was dealing with, of our past to define our present and determine our future. It, 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 we, we can do that if we allow, we can get bitter, we can get angry. One of the things that I think I appreciate most about Moses um, it's, is, is that it seems to be that as the years went by, he, he became more and more content, that he was able to go through this very difficult period of his life without being destroyed. I mean, I, I guess one way of saying it is he looks like a, by the time God starts to deal with him, he looks like a very contented person. He had, yes, it wasn't what he was expecting. But he, yes, he, was, he couldn't have been more removed from the course of kings to be a shepherd in the wilderness alone, all a lot. But you know what? He, he seemed to have come to a point where he appreciated the simple joys of what he had. And I think it's part of that contentment. I mean, the vanquished dream did not ruin his life. It did not vanquish his life. And I think that, that is, there's something about that. It just changed it. It changed it a lot but it didn't ruin him. It didn't define him. When God meets Moses, you're not hearing a bitter, angry man who's thinking only about what I left behind, what I gave up. He comes across as a very contented person. You know, he's okay. In fact, the challenge that God's going to have, and it's God's challenge, is to get Moses to actually be more open because things have changed radically inside of him. Again, and this will be our third, third thought here, what, what God did not do was abandon him in his place. And I want to suggest that there are times where even though we may be tempted, let us remember, we're tempted to think that maybe God is not showing up for us. But remember this, that God has not, and I like the phrase, God has not deserted us in the desert, right? He, did, he, he will not abandon us there. Um, it may seem that we are alone. It may seem like whatever, wherever God is, I can't hear him. But the fact is, God was present. He was working in the silence. God is, is now beginning to move, and Moses is going to see it. What Moses didn't realize was that he was actually being prepared for a very special moment that God had planned. The Lord was changing him. The old Moses was confident, borderline cocky, very capable, but he was not, able to, he was not usable. The new Moses is going to be reluctant, cautious, careful, the ambition, way gone. Nothing there of self-confidence necessarily. But you know what? God's going to say, now you're ready. And there's this idea that, that the desert places refine us. The desert places, if we approach them properly, these wilderness places in our lives can actually be used in a way that, that allows God to do things in us that prepare us for moments. Now, I, I know that you know, sometimes God is going to say, you know what, now it's time to relaunch. And sometimes in those relaunch moments, we're going, well, I don't want to do it anymore. And that's the whole thing that's going to happen here. You know what? It's because the Lord is going to keep working with us. It's like the Lord squeezed out the ambition in Moses. It's like he just turned the nozzle and just all that stuff, that whoever he was, whatever man he was, it was all, it was all gone. That was gone. Now he, could, now he could lead. And all those things could come back to him and be used in a way that would actually ultimately be beneficial but see, I'm going to say, you know, I was, I was um, 
I was talking to someone and they were telling me about how they've been waiting so long for God to answer their prayer about, you know, for them it was, they've been listening to the services online. They live in Texas. And they say, this is what, this is our, they, they, they call it, they're connected electri- electronically to our church, right? And so they've been following along and they'll send us period, people will do this. People send us from the podcast, they'll send us notes and stuff about, about just what God's doing in their life. And one of this, this, lady, this lady that I had met um, uh, who's sort of connected herself with our church from a distance, she, she was telling us about her wilderness journey and how she lost her job. And how it's, it, and, and all of a sudden she sent a message that said, you know what, it's almost not quite 40 weeks, she said, but it's been pretty close. And all of a sudden she got it, the, the door swung open for her. And one of the things that I was impressed with, and she says, you know, it's going to be about 40 weeks between paychecks. And one of the things I was impressed about it is I watched her through this whole thing and just through the communications. And you know what I was impressed? She, she, never, she never got angry with God. There was no bitterness. There was no, it was, it was tough. But it was an optimism, a confidence, um, a, an, uh, looking for the, the benefits that were in this time that God could do things in my own heart. I mean, there was just so much good there. And I thought, the Lord, that's, that's the way to go. Right that way. That's the path. Stay open to God. Don't push God aside. Say, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this wilderness time? Help me to learn it. I know it won't always be easy. Prepare. And then the last thing, and this will be our fourth and final idea. Lord, prepare me for the new dream. Prepare me for the new thing that you want to do. Because I think God does have new things that he wants to do. Frequently, we, 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 we forget that the Lord is moving in a way in our lives. I mean, we may never, look, Moses has no idea what God's about to do. He couldn't envision what he was about to be asked to do. Not now. It was, it was what, about, what is about to happen to him. I mean, again, it's going to interrupt the sameness of the desert. It's, it's going to be a, a game changer happening. Look, we may never be called to deliver a nation, but it's quite possible that there are, are going to be a person or two that God's going to use us to touch in an amazing way for him and whose lives are going to be affected by decisions we make in the days ahead. Who can say? We may never see God in a burning bush or see a sea open wide, but we may see a, a, a prayer, prayer answered that in its own way is a small miracle of God working and we will be part of that miracle and we will witness it with our own eyes and it will be amazing thing that we behold because some, for some of us, listen, God has amazing things ahead for us. Let's keep our attitude in a good place and when it happens, remember God. Don't forget him. Don't forget. Don't forget. You know, sometimes it's going to require faith it's going to require trusting the Lord at a different type of level. It's also going to involve, in my opinion at times, letting go. It might mean that we have to let go, listen, of what might have been. But if we don't let go of what might have been, we'll never get to be who he wants us to be. Uh, there's an old uh, writer named Oswald Chambers who said this, and I'll leave, let this be our closing, closing quote together to look at. He says, beware of, praying, of paying attention. Beware of paying attention to, or going back, he says, back to what you once were when God wants you to be something that you have never been. That is so good. Beware of, of getting consumed in what was and, getting, and, and just being stuck there because we want to stay open to what God wants us to become. And the wilderness is sometimes a very big part of that. And that's okay. That's okay. All right. We're going to close the service out somewhat differently than we normally do. Typically, we have our time of giving. 
we have a final song that we, we enjoy together that's connected to the theme of what we've shared. But we actually have a little special piece that we've created, an art piece that goes right in between the two. And it's connected to what we've been sharing. So if we can, um, before, before I pray and close this time out, just be prepared and sit with what we've just been talking about. Let it, let it, let it work in us. Okay, Lord, we just, um, we just want to thank you for the opportunity we've had to share your word together. And as we prepare to move forward in these closing minutes, uh, I just ask that you would remind us to, to not hold on to what might have been and to live in the land of regret when you've called us, Lord, to be open to what you want us to be and become. And so much of that has, is connected to our willingness to trust you in the difficult places and to just keep learning and growing and becoming. Uh, so, Lord, give us this grace. Keep working. Keep moving. Let your love flow like a river, we pray. And I just pray that you bless our time of giving, bless these closing, closing moments of song and art. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, Lord.